Hello, welcome to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Coming to you on a rainy slash sunny Sunday morning, location depending. My name is Graham, and joining me today, as always, he is. I was going to say the ladies' man, but I just remembered I used that last week, so I have to abandon this uh, this slander. I've got planned. It's Luke Holmes. Hi, Graham. Hi. Yeah, the the ladies' man sort of went out the window this week, so I'm I'm glad you sort of. Uh, <laughs> it's not it's not been a bright a bright start to the week on the the ladies' front. I um, personal life aside, I uh, I try not to use too many. I don't like to I don't like to repeat unless I really want to, and uh, yeah, <laughs> repeats <laughs> repeat slander. So. I'll think of something for next fair. week. I, I had I it literally just dawned on me. It's like, oh shoot, I've got nothing to uh, hit him with apart from you weren't prepared. No, I was That's... not. It's very poor form. It is. Anyways, we are back. Uh, we have now a week. Uh, week has passed since the Spanish Grand Prix. Not a ton to really say about it. Everything is really uh, has been said about it. Really has been said at this stage. Apart from one thing, which we'll tackle in a bit. But the big news heading into this week, or this week rather, was that do obviously we mentioned this. Uh, we loosely referenced this a little bit last week, but it was looking kind of sketchy whether the Turkish Grand Prix would go ahead, uh, having obviously just come onto the calendar, but new restrictions in place. And uh, eventually it was just a no-go. Uh, F1 officially announced that uh, the, Cana- uh, the, sorry, the Turkish Grand Prix wouldn't be going ahead. Instead, the French Grand Prix is moving forward a week. People say move forward, but that doesn't like... To me, move forward means... You're moving it a week later, but it's actually yeah. being moved a week back. So it's one week earlier, the French Grand Prix, than it normally was supposed to be. And then instead, we're getting two races at Austria once again. So Styria is making a uh, bit of a return here. So, uh, yeah, not a, not a total surprise that uh, Turkey... I keep saying Canada for some reason, but I, I keep wanting to say Canada. But Turkey was the one that was obviously to replace Canada in the first place. No, no surprise. I don't think that Turkey was eventually, uh, you know, tucked away. Uh, no real surprise, I don't think. But what did you make of the shuffle that's taken place with France and the two races at Austria? I'm a big fan of the Austrian Grand Prix. Always have been. Last year it was great having the back to backs, especially with the mix up of weather. So I'm glad that we've done that and not two races at France. My word! I messaged you when I first saw about France possibly being a double header, and I was not happy about it. If, if, that, if that's right, but the actual double header of stereos is, is a good is a good move. But also, because France has been moved back a week, it also affects Grosjean's test with Mercedes. It was meant to be getting at the French Grand Prix because now it clashes with IndyCar, so he now can't do that test with Mercedes. That kind of screws him on that front. Well, but I, he will be getting it later. Mm, I believe. I, the the big thing, yeah, they, it's still happening, is what Mercedes are saying. Mm. But the problem is, they obviously want like he's not going to be able to get that run in front of the French fans, which they had sold out fifteen thousand tickets for the event, and now that all has to be moved back because the race is now happening a week, a week earlier. So it's caused a fair amount of disruption. But I, I don't know. I'm in two camps about it. To be honest, like I, yes, it's not like it's fine that we get. I think it, yeah, not a bad thing. We get two races in Austria. It's a decent track. Uh, I do think it's been slightly overrated somewhat in recent years because it's not that easy to overtake around there because it's a 
it, there's three DRS zones. I know it's just short blast, but uh, the races we've got have been the good races we've gotten have kind of been circumstantial in many ways, uh, for for a few reasons. But you look back to like 2017, you know that race wasn't particularly fantastic. The 2018 race was because the two Mercs conked out, and 2019 was basically because. Max Verstappen got a terrible start and had a car out of place. Now this charge was very good, but if he doesn't get if he gets a good start, then what does that race actually really develop into? And then twenty twenty only kind of burst to life. Then at the end, I would say with that um, safety car in the Hamilton five seconds. Do you remember what happened to the Styrian Grand Prix for the race itself? No, legit no. I remember qualifying more. Mm. If I'm honest, it was the wet qualifying, right? Yes, I believe that was for yeah. Styria. Yeah. That was that, that was what sticks in my memory in the Hamilton crazy lap that he did, where it was just absolutely mad in front of everybody else. I think it was like a second in front. That that's the only thing I can remember about that weekend. Yeah, I remember nothing about the Styrian Grand Prix itself. So I do think Austria's been slightly overrated. Now don't get me wrong, it's much better than a lot of the tracks. I just think we've missed an opportunity here for F one to do something different in France because F one it's got a number of good French drivers. They're young. They're going to be around for a while. The French market is an important market in F1. I think that's important. We were kind of out of the loop for it. We didn't have a French driver for a good while, to be fair. Before Grosjean kind of came came back into the fray, really, as a decently front, semi-front-running driver back in 2012-2013. And the French Grand Prix obviously disappeared off the calendar for 10 years. Mm. So it was a big absence in the in F1's calendar. So to get obviously to come back, and we've had let's be honest, two very disappointing races at France. I know there's been overtakes, but again, that's more to do with like cars being out of place. So like Vettel, obviously in 2018, uh, 2019 was good for the last five laps. Of course, we didn't see any of it. <laughs> oh God, I remember that. Yeah, Jesus. with uh, Norris and Ricardo and company there on the uh, last few laps there, but. It's been a disappointing race. The layout, it's funny because it, you would think with the long, massive straight, it would lend itself to decent action, but it hasn't happened. I would have thought this is a perfect chance because let's be honest, France isn't really going to go anywhere anytime soon, really, is it? We're going to be in France for the foreseeable future. Why not use this opportunity, if the schedule is allowed and the such, why not use this opportunity to try a layout different to the one that's the official French Grand Prix? And at least see if you can find something that works better so we can make better races in the future. Not just not just this trade-off where it's, yes, the second Austrian race will probably be better than the French Grand Prix. But, you know, that's only going to be a one-off for this year. We're not going to go to Austria twice a year every year. Um, but we're going to be going to France for a while anyways with the same layout. Why not make this a good opportunity to try something different on the 15,000 different layouts that you can use for Formula 1? They need to try something because obviously that, that layout is very stale with the cars we have. And they, like you say, there's absolutely loads of variations. I know there was on about modifying it a few months into the uh, season last year, but they never really got anything sorted out with it, which was quite strange because a lot of people don't really like the French Grand Prix because of how the cars react to the dirty air following round there. It's not very good for them, if you want to say that. But... I agree, they should have tried something different. People will say, oh, we should go back to Magnicor. No, that would be even worse. That track is way, way too narrow to even have today's cars on it. So the, I think they should have probably tried a different layout somewhere along the lines with the Paul Ricard circuit. 
Yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity. Now, I think you actually are one of the few people who actually don't really enjoy Magni Core. I really enjoyed Magni Core uh, younger, but these cars are frankly just too fast. Like, what if there's a collision heading, you know, you know, heading down towards that big hairpin? Uh, the, there's it's such high speed that you know, the barriers are quite close. It'll be a horror accident. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think these generation cars are suited to do that. I do think Magni Core is a great, a great track and would make. I, saying something to make a better Grand Prix than the than the French one we have at the moment, the Paul Ricard. But yeah, I'd. It's like, again, it's not that I'm saying Austria is a bad place to go. I think it's slightly overrated, but you still, you still gonna get likely get a decent race there. I just think that we missed an opportunity to do something a bit different uh, to fix a problem. Because I'm gonna be honest, that. Those two French Grand Prix are in consideration for the worst races of their respective years. They were just dreadful. Like Monaco was more interesting. Both Monacos, I actually think, were more interesting. And Abu Dhabi was more interesting than the French Grand Prix. It may have literally been the apart from maybe Spain 2019, it may have literally been the worst race on the entire calendar for those two years. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I can remember always just being on my phone on them constantly. I can't even remember what even happened. Apart from the first lap with Vettel and Bottas mm. in 2018, that's literally the only memory I have of them. The Grand Prix. I don't know why they just didn't go to a different track altogether. Like keep them two where they are and just add another one somewhere else. I know the gap and scheduling is probably a mess after all the changes that have happened already, but surely we could have gone somewhere slightly different. Mugello, hint, hint, please. <laughs> I still think that's on the cards possibly and Nürburgring I imagine will be one on the short notice as well I mean Hockenheim might be short notice as well like this is quite short notice so yeah. they, I guess F1 was lucky the fact that you know, they were able to get the move the French Grand Prix a week uh, ahead basically and obviously do a second one around, around Austria because obviously it's more to remember like F1 isn't the only motor racing series that does be going on so availability of these tracks may not always line up at the dates in question but yeah, I guess the flexibility here was uh, was a key. So, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully, we get a better Styrian Grand Prix compared to the last year. But, yeah, again, not awful. But I do think we missed an opportunity to do something a little different. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. the This got brought up a little bit later afterwards. But this whole idea of Red Bull's bendy rear wing. Do you want to start this one off because you were insistent that this wasn't that big of a deal yeah I, I, I don't get why Mercedes are making such a big deal of it to me from the onboards I've seen of uh, Mr Verstappen's rear wing it doesn't look as bad obviously you're going to get a bit of flex you, you expect that with some of the cars they're not going to be stood still as per se um, but from what Hamilton said he said that Following Max's car through Spain, he could see that rear wing flexing quite a bit. And then Mercedes have sort of come out and said that it's not legal, which is weird to say. I I, I disagree. I, I don't get well why you do. You, I'm I'm guessing you agree with them and say it's not legal. Um, I'm not sure where I sit on it at the moment. Uh, so obviously the yeah. So obviously these it's all being brought up. These these all face uh, tougher tests from the FIA coming up. So I believe the 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 push and pull loads, I think, are going to be doubled to uh, to figure out the, the what's going on here. But this is this has drawn the attention of the FIA, which makes it noteworthy, uh, based on these comments by Hamilton, which uh, Horner believed, uh, you know, Wolf was behind. So, you know, you can add that to your Wolf versus Horner 
uh, kind of route because uh, Horner was quote surprised unquote about Hamilton's comments that he made. Uh, the and then Horner also went to say that uh, beforehand of these beforehand in all this obviously that he said that the FIA quote completely happy with the car end quote. So they're still going to do these tests. These tests are coming mid season. So at least for the next three races, now this is before the calendar change, but originally it was going to be the you know, the cars can still be run as they are uh, for these next three races, which is, uh, what we got? It's, <laughs> it, was, Monaco, it was Turkey, Azerbaijan. Monaco, Azerbaijan. Thank you, there's the ones that missed the top of my head for a sec. So yeah, but then coming after that, these loads will be tested to kind of test the legality of this higher static low test. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't I don't think this will be the last time that we're going to hear about it, but it's noteworthy nevertheless. Uh, we'll see. I, again, this, I don't know, it, it reminds me on a lesser scale to Renault's mass damper kind of thing, that kind of a mid-season thing uh, where an advantage was taken away. So what, again, we'll find out if it really is an advantage. I, You know, usually it takes a little bit longer than race four for something like this to kind of, I don't know, get addressed or come to the fore. Surely you would have thought one of Mercedes' uh, eagle eyes would have spotted something like this beforehand if it was something that was completely out of uh, out of sync. So I don't know. I don't think this is massive, but it's, it's, I certainly don't think we've heard, we've finished hearing about it at least. No, it, it would definitely be constant around the paddock for the next few weeks until we get them tests, which I, I hope is wrong and it's just proved to be legal, but knowing Red Bull, they probably pushed the limits a little bit too far. We shall see. Uh, lastly, really, before we head into the F3 report for the uh, Spanish Grand Prix, uh, this actually just dropped on Sunday evening, but McLaren unveiled a special one-off uh, Gulf Racing Colours livery for the as a one-off for the Monaco Grand Prix coming up. Um, I think everyone is in utter bewilderment of how unbelievably good this looks. Why isn't this the regular car? I don't know. I, I, lo- I like the Papier livery normally, but this this new one, oof. It's not even close. It's just a mile above that. It's mad. So good. Would this automatically be the best looking car on the grid if this was a real, if this was a, for every race? Because honestly, I I don't know, man. I, I, it's, oh. It'd be up there, 100%. It has to be, right? This looks, uh, again, just looking at him, <laughs> trying to pick my jaw off the floor. Honestly, if you haven't seen it, Obviously, I'm sure you've seen it floating around and McLaren's official Twitter and the such has it, but oh my, it just looks unbelievable. So hopefully that car goes well. It should be running fairly high up. We'll see how it handles in comparison to the uh, the significantly less good-looking Ferrari in comparison, let's be real. Oh, no, disagree. I still don't like the back end of that car. How? It's so good. It looks great coming down in a straight line when you see the rear wing, but when you're looking at the side, I don't I still ah. I still don't like the gradient look to it. Like I still don't like the way it fades in like that. It doesn't look great. Oh, you're just wrong. You're just wrong. Get out. <laughs> we'll have to uh, agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> but have you any thoughts on any other thoughts on that other than wow? <laughs> just big wow. Yeah. Big big wow. Fair play. Yeah, smashed it. Absolutely. Uh, McLaren's creative department. Oh, I should mention, this is all in uh, relation to, uh, obviously, Gulf. Uh, it's the Gulf Racing Colours, if you weren't uh, weren't aware. And obviously, I believe Gulf are still a sponsor of uh, McLaren, the oil. So, yeah, top job. Absolutely smashed it. That needs to be, that needs to come back. Anyways, we should move it on, because uh, we did promise the F3 report 
from uh, the Spanish Grand Prix for this week. Now, a bit more happened in the midweek with the calendar reshuffle and the such, but let's talk F3. Uh, we're not going to spend as much time on this as we would F2, just because F2 is literally the last step between the junior categories and Formula 1. So, again, we saw three drivers go from Formula 2 last year to Formula 1. We are extremely, extremely unlikely, nail on impossible, I would say, from anyone to go to F3 to F1. They basically, they wanted to stop that, basically, didn't they? But when uh, when Verstappen and Ocon kind of made that leap, more so Verstappen, obviously Ocon was a bit more phased when he got in, in 2016, whereas Verstappen just went straight to uh, straight to F1. I suppose Stroll falls into this category somewhat as well, but that was a bit more uh, financial-based. Just don't, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. So, because of that, we're not going to spend as, as much time on this, but let's Let's get the notables out of the way because, again, what we're really looking for here is for guys who are, A, performing at a high level in F3, but more so the guys who are likely to find themselves in F2 with a chance to make the step up to F1 in the not-too-distant future. So let's go over the most significant of these who are currently affiliated with F1 teams. Now, obviously, more will be added to this list, I'm sure, as the season goes on but or towards the end. But you've got Arthur Leclerc, who was obviously brother of Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari Academy. Uh, Frederick Vesti, the sole Mercedes representative as well for uh, in F3. I've got to say, I'm a little surprised that Ferrari only have one representative in, F, in F3. That's, that seems odd. But I, they do have a, a, quite a number in F2 and otherwise. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? They, they've got so, they had so many in F2 last year. And then they've called back quite a bit. Because obviously some of them have gone up and then some have been released and mm. what have you. I think it's smart, to be fair. Like, I think it is smart for them to you know, kind of just let this current crop, I guess, kind of come and pass or whatever the case may be. So it does surprise me that, again, Mercedes only ha don't have anyone in F2, but they do have one in F3. I guess that, again, makes sense given that obviously you've got Russell and Ocon and Slash. You would want to pro uh, solely put a junior driver in a Mercedes. Obviously, you want them to... Yeah, obviously you want, you want to play the field if you're Mercedes, of course, at the same time. Yeah, I, I was honestly surprised not to see Vesti in F2, if I'm honest, with the Mercedes announcement of him joining the team. I thought he would have been placed into F2 and probably had two years at F2 rather than having the second year in F3. Mm. That's, that's fair enough, I guess. Finished fourth, I believe, last year in, F, in the F3 standings. Mm. So He was up there for sure. Uh, next up is Alpine, who've got, again, quite a number of drivers in F2, but they've got two representatives in F3, with uh, Kai Collet and... Uh, Mart um, they, it's not Martins, I believe. It's Martins. Yeah, the returning Victor Martins. Mm, Victor Martins, who actually quite impressed me over the weekend, but we'll uh, talk about that. And then Red Bull quite have, have quite a number of uh, junior drivers, as you would expect, being uh, Iwasa, Edgar, Hauger, Crawford, and uh, Duhan as well. So quite a number of uh, junior drivers for Red Bull in F3. So... Why don't you get us cracking on, Luke, with uh, some of the F3 action over the uh, over the three races? So basically, there's, there's, it's the same format as F2. The qualifying sets the grid for the Sunday race. So we had a reverse grid for race one, which put Johnny Edgar on pole for Red Bull. Mm. Big up Johnny Edgar. Mm. Top 12 are reversed this time, given the... Uh, <laughs> there's like yes, 30 the 30-odd grid. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, ridiculous size of grid. It's, it's quite fun to watch, if I'm honest. But going down to turn one, Edgar takes the lead. And then uh, eventually, due to his inexperience with the tyres, starts to go back because there's no pit stops allowed in F3. So they're all on the hardest compound from start to finish in all three races. 
which I thought was weird because I thought it was the feature race where they could pit, but obviously I was wrong at the time. Um, eventually gets overtaken by Smolia and Novelak, returning drivers for this season. Very highly rated, I think, both of them, if I'm correct. Um, then we get towards the end of the race, nothing really kicks off until third lap from the end, and rookie Rasmussen loses it on the kerb coming into the last corner and causes a safety car just as uh, Clement Novelak is starting to close down Smolia, which he probably would have closed down and got past mm. him to take the win, which is quite poor in the rookie's book, but ends up with Smolia taking the win and Novelak finishing second and a debut podium for Colette of the Alpine Academy. So that's a decent result mm. for the Alpine boys. Yeah, race one, kind of, I think Smolier did a good job, to be fair. I think Clement Novelak, he did well to get through the field, to be fair, to some of those other cars in, uh, in front of him. So I thought he had a very good race one. Uh, I thought Fischer-Paldi had a good race as well, in, in race one as well, Enzo Fischer-Paldi. And I, I thought he was affiliated with Ferrari, but I must be, I must be wrong. No, no, you're right. It was something to do with them. I'm pretty sure they broke up. He was he was part of that academy. I swear, I, mm. I could be wrong, but I was pretty pretty sure. The driver that had a really bad race, Arthur Leclerc, yeah. did not go to plan. Poor chap, got a puncture. poor chap had a puncture. Which again, this is the thing: your position is where you finish in race one it determines where you start for race two. So if you have a poor race one, then you're going to have a. If you're not inside that top twelve, you're going to be rough going in race two as well. So that was unfortunate for Leclerc. I thought Ed Carr did a good job, to be fair, initially to. He, he put up his defense for quite a bit and then it kind of fell away eventually as other cars just got past with the tires. Like, as you would expect, to be yeah. fair. So he did well enough, I think, to be fair. And I thought it was interesting. This race, kind of the bottlenecks kind of made this one entertaining. Uh, David Schumacher was at the head of one as well. Uh, he was reversed into the uh, top. I think he started fourth in race one in the top 10, but um, kind of just fell backwards. Yeah, kind of just reason wasn't really... Uh, wasn't really comfortable but the other thing that was really i thought was interesting and it comes comes back to this format you had uh, you had um you had duan who qualified uh i think he was just off of like six thousandths off of a uh, pole so obviously he starts uh, 11th for race one but here's the thing a poor start which he had and he's nowhere in race one and then as a consequence, he's almost nowhere in race two as a result. So it just shows you need to have a really good start in these reverse situations. Because if you fall, and he fell like the 19th place, which you're getting nothing in race one, you're likely not to get anything in race two. It just makes your weekend very, very difficult. Yeah, that, that's it. Especially around a track like Spain. Mm. It's ridiculously hard to overtake anyway. Now, overtaking uh, was possible, but... It was, it was. Because I think Alex Jakes put it really well. It's pass or be passed, basically. So if you can't, and we saw that quite often through the weekend, if you couldn't pass the person in front of you, likely you're coming under pressure from behind, which was yeah. uh, how a lot of that ended up going. But yeah, Schumacher had a pretty pretty rough one, uh, defending quite early, and then obviously just didn't have anything to, uh, to give. Uh, how about race two? Race two was a bit better than uh, race one, to be fair. A little bit better. It was way better. It was way <laughs> more exciting. Everything kicked off in race two. Obviously, you've got to sort of not go all out in race one because you want to keep your car in semi-decent condition. Otherwise, you're not going to be racing in the uh, other two if anything happens. So because of uh, the result of race one, it meant that uh, Fittipaldi ended up on pole, 
with uh, David Schumacher in second, I believe, or third. So we go down into turn one, Fittipaldi's leading the way, and uh, we get a turn one incident involving uh, second place man, oh no, sorry, first place man Alex Smollier and the returning Logan Sargent. Very late returning <laughs> Logan Sargent, because I don't think he's actually yes. announced until a few days beforehand. It was all very late. Obviously, Sargent was literally, like, well, he's runner up to the last year's title. It was very, very close. So it was very surprising that A, he wasn't in F2, but B, that he didn't get anything sorted out until, like, literally at the 11th hour. Yeah, it was the same with Fertipaldi as well. Yeah. Because, uh, Sergeant was meant to be going to Indy Lights, if, if from what I read on uh, race fans, but then somehow ended up in uh, F3 again. It's quite surprising. Uh, Indy Lights, yeah. if you're not familiar, uh, is the feeder series to the IndyCar. You can actually watch it on YouTube. It's actually, if you subscribe to uh, The Race, obviously, obviously, always recommend going to theRace.com uh, for a start, but the YouTube channel, they get to stream that. So if you've, I think Alex Peroni is uh, actually knocking around in. Indie Lights this season as well. So he was in F3 last year. So, yeah, it's free to watch on YouTube. I highly recommend. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, good series to watch if you've got time. What did you make of the uh, the Smalley Sergeant incident? It looked, do you think it was a puncture or did you think Smalley just lost the back end and that just obviously just because Sergeant was pretty much a bystander in this really. It was all Smalley. It was whether it was a puncture after a little bit of contact from behind or did he just lose the back end, do you think? Yeah, it was definitely a puncture. They've seen it on the onboard from Novelak. He goes round and taps the back of Smolly, and then it's literally Smolly has got no chance to save it, and just ends up going into the side of um, Logan Sargent, and then they're just both passengers at that point, and they both end up in the gravel. That obviously brings out the safety car, which uh, sort of neutralises everything for the uh, first few laps. Then we sort of don't have any action really; just a few overtakes here and there. Just uh, David and uh, Enzo Fittipaldi going at it. Mm, that was fun. fun. Yes, that was very fun to watch. And then it got a bit chaotic. So David Schumacher was in the lead at this point. He got past Fittipaldi the lap or the lap previous, around the outside of Turn 1. And then we come round to start lap 15. And oh boy, this was a fun crash. <laughs> I, I remember reacting at the time and going that he's been full on yeeted I, at that point. Yeah, I felt pretty bad because Schumacher, like obviously race two takes place the same day as race one and Schumacher was having such a better time in race two compared to race one. It was much, much better where before he was falling down the order, he was able to really stick with it. This time he was showing that he was learning a lot from even just earlier in the day and yeah, poor old, uh, it, it's, you can't look at, it's it's Fittipaldi's fault, right? Yeah, he, he went off track, didn't he? He got forced off track, and then uh, that inside line is not fun when you come back onto track and you just literally... Mm. It's, it's a passenger for Schumacher, unfortunately. Yeah, well, once uh, Pichipaldi got onto the curb, he was also a passenger as he, got, as he flung back over. Kind of reminded me a little bit of the Nissani Tictum into the Spa last year, a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah, but that's literally what I was going to say. He literally, as soon as you touch them, big sausage curbs that, that's it you, you can't do anything you're going straight into whoever's there so those are the two leaders crashing out it ended up not being the only leaders to uh crash out because from there uh obviously you had you had the, the chasing pack behind them was you had nanini who's taking place in f2 as well as f3 you had hoger and caldwell just behind as well so <laughs> then uh more shenanigans kicked off yes so we get to lap 21 
and uh, Hona and uh, Lalini, Nanini, sorry. I call him Lalini there, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Nanini decide to go at it for the lead with only one lap to go after lap 21, so they were full on going at it. Hagner's on pole for race three as well. This this is important to keep in mind. So this could be big points on the cards for him. He decides to chuck it up the inside and just full on understeer straight into Nanini and uh, after touching the inside curb again, which uh, seems to be a, a repetitive theme. Basically oversteered and, uh, on the uh, inside curb and then just... I was just flog into him then, basically. Yeah, Nanini gets spun round, and then Hagner's just like, right, I'm just going to drive straight into you and take you from wing with me. <laughs> yeah, and his own front wing. It was pretty messy from uh, yeah. Hagner. I think he was trying to anticipate where the car was going to go and dodge. Uh, that did not end up working out, so uh, Hagner ends up limping back to the back to the pits, and uh, Ollie Caldwell was just right in place to take that lead. Obviously, he was the car behind, and arrived on the scene just in time to not really get involved but to not lose it sometimes he nipped by uh, at the same time so yeah Cobb ended up taking the race win and he was ahead of, I know Vessi picked up third uh, was it Martins in second then after that it was yes so yeah two uh, two uh, two collisions at the front there for the lead uh, we're, it's Hauger it was Hauger's fault obviously there's no oh yeah 100% no, uh, no doubt about that so Nanini's having a decent weekend overall I think and uh, <laughs> yeah that was, uh, that was rough that was rough Massive crash. Also, a massive shout out to Correa getting points mm. in uh, in that race with a solid P10. That's a massive result for him. Absolutely huge. Yeah, great to see that he, as well. He said he was absolutely exhausted after the first race, and they had to do a second one on the same day. Couldn't do it. It's mad. Yeah, did very well. To be fair to him, a uh, great race too for Arthur Leclerc, who was obviously nowhere, basically last almost, basically after the apart from DNFs. Uh, from yeah. from race one, obviously with his puncture and the such, it's not a quick pit stop in F three either. So, and obviously no. not uh, it's not mandatory course or even permitted really. So, uh, which I'd actually forgotten. Like the, I was waiting for them to peel off into the pits in race three, but um, it's the same length of race for the three of them, which I for- had forgotten about. Yeah, I, I thought it was slightly longer on the Sunday, if mm-hmm. I'm honest. But yeah, obviously the tyres and no pit stops have a factor in that. I'm guessing. So I don't think Leclerc scored points in race uh, two, but he made up about he made up about 15, 16 oppositions, which is rare in F three because if you're down in the doldrums at the back, obviously it's tough to really, really move forward. Yeah, so it's, it's bad. Obviously, well. he got helped a little out of a little bit. Everyone but. got helped out because four cars at the front taking each other out, but that wasn't all then because Caldwell goes through, but even he had to defend on the last lap then to uh, Martins, who. I had to obviously go across the curb there. It was worth an effort. I, you thought I thought it was done and dusted for uh, Colwell, but Martins gave it a good old go. To be fair, ended up defending that, and uh, obviously Colwell t- took the win then for Martins with a Vesti inheriting that uh, third place. And then came uh, came race three on Sunday. Obviously decided by uh, the or the grid dictated by the qualifying on the uh, Friday. Yeah, and th- this was probably the worst race out of all three. Oh, by far, it was pretty stale. If I'm honest, this was like the sort of the race I was expecting for Spain. Hagner was on pole after qualifying there on on the Friday. He won from pole basically with Duhan and Nanini on the podium. No, nothing much happened at all. So, no, <laughs> nothing. Pretty, pretty stale. Uh, the only thing like I've got written here, like it, to be fair, it did follow the kind of the pattern of the race two, where the first ten or so laps were fairly processional. 
it just never really kicked on after that. Uh, Doohan eventually got his places back that he had lost at the start when he got by Nanini. Uh, here's the, I think race three is more of a takeaway than than uh, action because here's the thing. Here's the theory as why, why I thought perhaps it was a boring race. This is the race that's set out by the qualifying, which means everyone, generally speaking, is relatively close in terms of their pace. Whereas with the first two races, it's you got the better drivers and such, and they're all out of sync. So trying to come through, you get these bottleneck situations. You had obviously like Schumacher in race one, and again, other drivers coming through in race two and that kind of thing. Whereas race three, it's all basically drivers who are fairly close to each other in pace, which means they can't, there's, you can't really do much at a track like Spain when it comes to that kind of thing. So it just makes, like, like obviously, Hauger showed his class over the weekend, aside from his, uh, his incident, but he ran away basically. Uh, it just, Martins was fairly uh, fairly good as well. It was just, I don't know, I, it's, I just think that the skill level, clo- like everyone was kind of where they should have been in a sense. I, it just didn't really lend itself to the same kind of thing, just based on that. Yeah, it, it just neutralised everything, didn't it? it was, you got a few overtakes at the back, obviously, because they mm. like to squabble a bit, because they're all fair, like ridiculously close at the back. But the, the front runners are fairly set. Unless you make a mistake, you're pretty much keeping where where you started. Yeah, well, essentially, what um, cost Logan Sargent late on in uh, in race three there, as he understood, just plain understeered coming out of the uh, last quarter and lost uh, a few places like that. But in the end, it was how it's so. This, look at the standings here. Basically, everyone from uh, first place, which is Hauger on thirty four points, down to I'd say even Logan Sargent himself in eleventh on ten points. Like because it's. The way these weekends work now, it's such an ebb and flow where you could be 40 points behind and, you know, you could easily make that up if something goes wrong. But the big takeaway, I think, is that this format, I think, still is works. I remember Jack Aiken was questioning whether it'd be better for him to finish, you know, like, like do well the first two races and then, you know, like then what happens for a race or sorry, for the first race rather. And then first two races, then obviously the feature race, then where the majority of the points are handed out. He wasn't sure at the start. I'm sure he wasn't alone. What the best way to go about scoring points was. And I think Hauger proved that it's still the feature race because Hauger scored. Now, Hauger should have had a lot more points on his tally. He's only two points ahead there of Caldwell in second. Uh, he should have, he showed that this, you still need to, do well in the feature race. That's where the bulk of the points are coming from. Because he had three points in race one, did Hauger, none in race two, and then collected 31 in race three for the uh, win and fastest lap. And that's why he leads. Whereas you have someone like Caldwell, Novelak, and to a lesser extent, Martins, who did consistently well over the three races. Obviously, Martins having two points there in race one. But like Caldwell, five points, race one, 15 points, race two, 12 points, race three. He's up there. Like, consistency works. And Novelak, 12, 8, and 8 for 28 points. So the feature race still is where it's at because you can have a bad two races and still come out on top on the weekend. Yeah, that, that, that's where this, this format for me, I, I'm not sure on it yet. I think I need to see a few more races on it for it to fully get a good understanding of where it's going to work. So I'm still a bit sceptic about having three races at the same track. I understand why it's been done, obviously for financial mm. reasons, but I, I, I purely did enjoy the two-race format and having the both formulas at the same track each weekend. Each weekend that was there. That was, that for me, that was the better format, but 
Mm. Whether whether this is the new norm, we'll, we'll remain to see. I was actually, I come away with on that weekend a bit more relieved about the format now than heading into it because, again, you're, it's important to do well in all the races, but it's still the feature race that should count for the most. Yeah. And it does. Like, Hauger should, was nowhere after two races, the first two races. Then, obviously, he converts, converts pole to victory. And, you know, the fastest driver got it done. Like, it wasn't like he wasn't out of, like, out of place. Obviously, he was contesting for race two as well. Again, which he should have at least come first or second. But it also shows you then at the same time that consistency is rewarded. So, like, Duhan scored 18 points here in race three, but he had two poor races, and he's down in fifth on 21 points. So he's not out of it, but he's not as far as he should be because he wasn't consistent. So I think it does go both ways. Again, it's going to be an ebb and flow to it the whole whole season long. But I actually don't mind the fact that it's uh, it's this, these are separated so much because it was I found it impossible to keep up with F2 and F3 and F1 the same weekend. They were all on. So I prefer this because it's a bit more manageable. It's a bit more doable to cover. And I also think it helps the F1 teams because... Most F1 teams and even drivers are watching these support races anyway. So it's good that they're watching F3 because, again, you're watching drivers. And look, their drivers are always going to be on the radars, but the fact that it's the sole support race for the weekend gives you that bit more attention. And you never know what that, you know, what extra attention might come of us just for a certain driver, again, looking to get picked up or whatever. I just think it helps some of these drivers not get buried basically under some of the other uh, categories yeah yeah I, I agree with that that's that's a fair point it, it should be that the other team should be watching it all the time anyway mm. so yeah because there's quite a few drivers that are not part of an academy no like so the novelak isn't uh, part of a, an academy to be fair to him and i don't think which, caldwell which is, is either no I, I thought caldwell was but he wasn't he, he, he was one that was sort of nowhere last season I'm guessing the move to Prime has really helped him out this season so far. So yeah, well, yeah, moving to Prime usually helps. Uh, helps anyone. <laughs> well, you, you say that unless your name's Sean Galile, but yeah, I, I, unless unless it's said on that. <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, that is a very good point. So, any other thoughts on F three before we close out? Really, star of the weekend. Star of the weekend. Um, you'd have to say Hauger, to be fair. Because Oof, because Hauger was there for race two, he was there for race three. Obviously, put the car on pole position as well. I do think he is very strong. Obviously, apart the fact that he's a, I actually thought initially he was a Ferrari junior because obviously you just yeah. make the connection, Prima and Ferrari and that kind of thing. But the fact that he's a Red Bull junior really makes things very interesting. It's always it's always more interesting when there's a really good Red Bull junior making waves. Because you know it's just going to stir the shite just a little bit between Red Bull and AlphaTauri and all these different things. So. I actually wouldn't be surprised if he was ended up being better than the current guys they have in F2. Maybe with the exception of Deruvla at the moment, but it's very early to make that claim. But I do think, because like, I think over the course of the three races, I think he was the strongest driver. But I'm actually, the driver that I think that impressed me more, to be fair, was actually Martins, who I actually really enjoyed on the uh, on the weekend. Yeah, my, I had two. Obviously, Caldwell for his, his consistency. He was just there every race, mm. which was which is good, and he was nowhere last season, so it's a big improvement. Obviously, got a better understanding of the car and the tyres and stuff. But Martins as a debutant, after getting dropped by Alpine during the Formula Renault uh, season before it started last year, and then gets re-picked up by Alpine to start this season off, and then comes out 
pretty high in the standings. For me, that's, that's a pretty good weekend. And he, he looks like a guy that wants to have fun and battle. And he's really, really hard on himself as well. Really disappointed after qualifying, even though he qualified third. So it's, it's, he's one to watch, I think, this season. It, it always takes a little while to get kind of warmed up to the new drivers in F3. Because I remember like looking back F3 year before, and you have like Daruvla, Schwartzman, Vips, and it's like, how can like it's like an F three class isn't going to be as good as or fun as that next year? And then you had Sarge and Piastri, and again, you, the same kind of thing. You think moving on to a new year, like oh, like having got to warm up to these guys. That like, you know, obviously some of them be in F two and that kind of thing. Um, looking forward to seeing this F three crop go more and more now with the likes of Cole, Doolin, uh, sorry, Duhan, jeez, uh, Martins, <laughs> Novelak. Hauger, Caldwell, Smollier, and Nanini getting in the mix. Like Nanini had a again, Nanini didn't. Poor old Nanini, I really should have had a podium in race two. But even Johnny Edgar was, I thought, was decent as well. The first first race as well before he dropped off. So uh, yeah, begin to really warm up to these uh, to these uh, this uh, grid. So I'm excited to see uh, them back in action next, which is at Le Castellet for the French Grand oh, God, to be fair, the sport Just... races around France are decent enough. Yeah, but it's just hearing that name. I, just, I hate it <laughs> so much. Uh, Circuit Paul Ricard. Leave it as that. I don't want. I don't want to hear Le Castellet. I actually prefer Le Castellet to Paul Ricard. I'm not no, God, Graham. No, <laughs> no. Any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, whiz on to uh, to preview the Monaco Grand Prix, which is taking place this weekend? Uh, just I would just say that that was a, it was a better weekend than I was expecting for Spain. Mm. So fair play to Spain. The the, ter- the adjustments at turn ten really made a difference for the smaller categories here's the thing so. their calendar is only going to get better from here because it's france okay well let's say we're about france but then it's spielberg budapest spa zandvoort and kota yeah i know we talked about this before but holy crap did they do a good job with that calendar yeah who uh, bruce has uh done his uh business for the f3 boys oh my He's goodness really pulled through. f2 got absolutely shafted unbelievable let's move on then to the Monaco Grand Prix preview we won't spend too long on this because it's fairly fairly straightforward obviously we know we know McLaren are running their one-off livery uh, we know Williams are celebrating their 750th Grand Prix this weekend Crazy. as well uh, you know if they if Russell qualifies well he's got a good chance to hold on to a good position here compared to races past for obviously look, well, it's, overtaking is very difficult nail on impossible oh, Charles Leclerc proved you can have a go uh <laughs> Of course, it's been two years since F1's been to Monaco, so I think everyone's excited to be back, regardless of whether the race unfolds. Obviously, the big thing is qualifying. Where are you, Ash, with regards Mercedes and Red Bull heading into this weekend? Red Bull, 100% See, Red Bull track. I thought about this beforehand, and like I thought back to 2019. It's like, well, we surely that should have been Red Bull then as well, and obviously Mercedes were the ones that obviously stuck the car on, on, the, uh, on the front row there, so... I don't know. I think Mercedes. I actually think Mercedes and the low speed stuff might actually be better than Red Bull. I think the mid to high speed stuff I think suits Red Bull a bit more. But I do wonder with some of the slower stuff that might favour Mercedes. And I'm going to be betting on them to do the business this weekend again. You mean you're going to be betting on Lewis? I'm going to be betting on Lewis Hamilton to do the business this weekend. Yes. 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 Important stipulation to make. Right. So, so we basically decided the top two already. Before we've even started anything, there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now it'll be one of them two in the, in the lead, regardless. Now, how do we feel about the rest then? Ah, uh, Bottas, I'm, I'm Perez, good. Ferrari, McLaren. 
What are we thinking? Oh. Do we think Ricardo's got a chance for a podium? Just because this is one of the few tracks where performance, yes, matters, but again, this is a track that rewards play. Uh, I was going to say players for some reason. I got, I'm much. I've got the thing football You've in front of me. FIFA. Yeah. Um, yeah, rewards drivers who've got large testicles underneath them. Daniel Ricardo, for example. Intent. Yes. It's, it's, I want to say Danny Rick, but I, I can't say anything apart with that advantage that Mercedes is going to have. Yeah, I imagine it's going to fall to either Bottas or Perez, but I don't know which. I don't think Perez has gone too well around Monaco, if I'm, if, if I'm not mistaken. That, you, he's never really been up there. What are you talking about? He had a podium in 2016. Did he? Yes. Oh, oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, swiftly delete that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> am, I leaving, am, am I leaving that in? Yeah, leave it in, leave it in. <laughs> fair enough, fair play. Yeah, no, I admit my mistake. I remember now, yeah. So, yeah. I'm interested to see, yeah, like, I'm interested to see how he gets on, obviously. He's had a bit of a slower start getting used to that uh, that car, but, yeah, I'm interested to see more so how some of the other drivers, like the rookies and Alonso and such, how they fare on their return to uh, Monaco slash their first experience in an F1 car. How many... Oh, I'm- which rookies do you think end up in the wall at some point in the weekend? Someone's going to. I think Snowden has a guarantee to put it in the wall. Snowden will point. end up in the wall in the tunnel. There's no doubt about <laughs> that. It will, it will push way too hard and get on the marbles and end up in the wall. I think, it's just a given. I think Mazepin probably ends up there once or twice as well. Only once or twice? Oh, well, there's great. only a few sessions to be had. You only, if you do it once, that's it for that session. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, but there's this five sessions. I'm going to say he's going to be in the wall at least five times. Wow, I'll take that action. Even I don't think he's. I don't think, even I don't think he'll do it that often. Yeah, wow, that's brave. I, I disagree on that. He, <laughs> he, he, he's not done well with the car when there's been no walls. He'd never mind when there's that many walls. True. But, I also want to throw. Uh, sorry, I also want to throw Lickness Latifi into this equation because he's also. This is also his first bout around this track as well. Yes, yes, it is in F one. Yeah, yeah, it is. I was going to say. Is the Monaco curse going to continue for Leclerc? Is he going to have another bad mm. weekend with Ferrari? I was thinking that because this is year number, uh, this is year four for him now, and he's not had one good Monaco Grand Prix, has he? No, but the the one the last time we were at Monaco was purely Ferrari being idiots, and then him just trying to make up for it. Him in the race just and being yeah, way too ambitious. Just send it. I think yeah, like risk risk care. or reward. Yeah, basically, it didn't like if he pulled off a few good moves, fair play, and then it didn't really matter if he was, you know, if if it didn't work out, and obviously eventually he went one too far with uh, Hulkenberg there into Raskas. So yeah, I think this is the final the year where he gets a good Monaco Grand Prix underneath him. He's got a good car underneath him too. Again, we'll see how the downforce of that Ferrari works at that uh, at that track. But I think this is the first opportunity he's had, I think, to the properly... I will say the Alfa Romeo was bad, but this is definitely the best car he's had. And he, I think, well, well, 2019 technically would have been better. But It would have been better, yeah, but it, it's not. But, it rules out because of Ferrari being Ferrari. Yeah, basically where he... You assume he's going to be a bit further forward this time. So based on that... Uh, basis, I think he's going to have a himself. At least he's going to get to the flag at least this time, at the very least. Hopefully, for Christ's sake, <laughs> please third, no. Third time's the charm. So Indeed. let's let's get to the big ones then. Um, I'm going with Hamilton for the win, and where were you going? I'll go opposite. You over Stappen? Yeah. Mm. Any other thoughts heading on Monaco? Because it's not a ton to say. Uh, no, not really. 
I have I have none. Other than I, I hope. Other than, other than I hope we have a decent race. And to be fair, last time we were there was a good race. Twenty nineteen was a good race. He had the clerk doing his thing for a bit, and then he had Verstappen putting the pressure on Hamilton in front. Where even though you weren't ever sure it was going to actually happen, Verstappen at least went for it, and at least there was a, that tension in it at least. So yeah. it was a decent race last time in twenty nineteen for all things considered. But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's it's decent enough. Yeah. Hopefully it's not just a procession like Monaco Grand Prix of the past have been. Mm. Right. Any other thoughts before we wrap up for another week? Uh, I just want to shout out Roman Grosjean quickly. Oh, yes. Go ahead. For the IndyCar pole and uh, IndyCar second place, which is uh, his first podium since Belgium 2015. Mm. And first pole in junior categories, (laughs) maybe. Did he ever yeah. take an F1 pole position? No, I don't think... I, I want to say Kota for some reason, because I know he went well round there in 2011 or 2012, one of the two. But gonna, I don't think he did. I'm going to quickly look that up. But um, it's interesting, to see, I saw one of his comments after the race, and it's like the difference between, like, he's talking about the difference between F1 and F... Uh, or, sorry, F1 and Nikar. He said that the fact he didn't push hard enough to get that win. I think he won. I think he lost by just under... Uh, under by just under five seconds. He said he, he didn't he didn't push enough, which obviously is the, <laughs> highlighting the difference between F one and and uh, IndyCar. Obviously, where you, in F one sometimes you can't always go all out. So it was interesting to hear him say that say that uh, no pole positions for Roman Grosjean here in F one. So that would be his first pole position in a long 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 time. So third time's a charm. He's already got off to a good start. He'd actually be knocking on a on a race win at some point. He's just too good in comparison to the rest of that field. I think to. Uh, to not do that, so hopefully, yeah, he'll go well. Yeah, and also the uh, young Dutchman Renus VK picks up his first win as well. That's uh, another one to watch out for in the IndyCar sort mm. of F1 crossover. He also won that race on the same day that Max Verstappen won his first race in F1 in Spain. It worked out on. It was it was quite a crazy start that they were both there on the same day. Between, like, obviously, a few drives in IndyCar and Indy Lights and such, it's gonna be, it's, I think we're going to be seeing more and more drivers make this progression from IndyCar to F1. I think it's going to be more and more prevalent now. Yeah, it needs to happen. It mm. needs to happen. Right, we can't um, just entirely have... Like, it's... We can obviously look... The, I think, ultimately, the best drivers have come up through the junior categories in, uh, in the, the F1's feeder series, but we do get some great drivers from... Uh, over the way as well so we need more we don't get enough of those yeah definitely so yeah that's just about do it unless you have any other last second thoughts last chance no buzzer (laughs) that's it I have zero myself so we are good so that will basically do it thank you for joining us today my name has been Graham I've been Nigel Mansell Bigger Williams yeah and we shall see you next time goodbye